Hello and welcome to this, the sixth of our Destination 2023 podcasts, a series designed to explore the process of ensuring pension scheme liabilities through the purchase of a bulk annuity contract or a buy-in policy. I'm Lee Colgate, a legal director at Osborne Clark. I'm joined by Claire Rankin, a partner in our pensions team, and today we're going to talk about how a typical buy-in policy works. So Claire, thank you for joining me. Thanks Lee, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, to start us off, I wondered if you could remind us why most trustees and employers who wish to secure their members' benefits start with a buy-in policy. Well, it's important to remember that a buy-in policy is an investment decision made by the trustees. So provided that the benefits insured match the benefits that the trustees are legally required to pay under the scheme rules, the trustees will have an investment asset that provides an income stream fully matching their liabilities. This is why having an accurate benefit specification is so important. And by ensuring all of the scheme's benefits in this way, the trustees and the employer can then start the winding up process with confidence that a funding shortfall and therefore a debt on the employer is unlikely to arise. So how long is a buy-in period likely to last before the scheme is put into wind up? Well, the minimum buy-in period will be the time needed to complete the data verification required by the buy-in policy. Otherwise, it can be as long as needed. The buy-in policy will commit the insurers to pay the income needed to fund the members and any dependents' pensions until their deaths. Contracts usually set out the insurer's expectations for reporting on administration during the data verification process. So it will be updated on deaths, retirements, etc. And the trustees must agree to those expectations. And this is usually straightforward, but the trustees should make sure that their administrators are aware of and can comply with those conditions. And the buy-in policy would end automatically, of course, when the last beneficiary dies, subject to um, certain post-termination provisions continuing, such as data protection. But in practice, most trustees and employers will want to wind up the scheme once they have insured all the scheme benefits and as soon as data verification is complete. Now, during wind-up, the trustees must make arrangements for the insurer to take direct responsibility for paying benefits to members. And to facilitate this, the buy-in policy will allow the trustees to require the insurer to convert the bulk annuity policy into individual policies between each member and the insurer. And this is the stage known as the buyout. So we know the importance of having an accurate benefit specification in place and how the buy-in policy is likely to end. But what assurances will the insurer need before they enter into a policy? Well, the trustees will be required to give the insurer a number of warranties as a term of the buy-in policy, and these will include legal and regulatory warranties and also data warranties. So the legal and regulatory warranties will typically include the fact that the scheme is a registered pension scheme for the purposes of the Finance Act 2004, that the trustees have the power, capacity and any authorisations they need to enter into the buy-in policy, and that entry into the buy-in policy will not breach any of the requirements of the scheme rules or any overriding law. The data warranties will focus on the accuracy and completeness of the data supplied to the insurer. So in particular, the trustees will be required to warrant that the benefit specification accurately records the scheme's benefits and that the data supplied from the administrator systems has been generated in good faith and is not materially inaccurate, incomplete or misleading. The warranties may also seek to identify whether the trustees have undertaken any previous liability management exercises or sought medically underwritten buy-in quotations for the members. Warranties along these lines are designed to reveal whether the members being insured are representative of the scheme's membership as a whole, 
or whether there's been an element of selection against the insurer. OK, and how much investigation do trustees need to make before giving these warranties to the insurer? And can you tell us what the consequences uh, might typically be of a breach of those warranties? Well, trustees are expected to make reasonable inquiries of their advisors and administrator to check whether they're able to give the warranties in full or whether they have anything to disclose to the insurer against those warranties. So, for example, if there are aspects of the benefit specification or data that remain under investigation, these should be disclosed. Similarly, if the trustees have undertaken previous buy-ins or pension increase exchange or enhanced transfer value exercises, these two may need to be disclosed. And it's important to attain an audit trail of who you've asked, what they've said and issues raised for disclosure. And any disclosure should be documented in a formal disclosure letter that's executed alongside the buy-in policy. Now, a breach of warranty would entitle the insurer to contractual remedies under the buying policy. And generally, that's the right to receive damages, so cash compensation for the breach, or in more serious cases, to terminate the buy-in policy altogether. Insurers expect trustees to have recourse to schemes assets under an indemnity in the scheme rules should the need arise. So it's important that trustees take advice on how the breach and indemnity provisions of the buy-in policy interact with the protections under their scheme rules and also those in any trustee indemnity insurance they have. Thanks. Um, so assuming no surprises there and the buy-in proceeds, what will a buy-in policy normally say about paying the initial premium? Well, the buy-in policy will include detailed payment provisions, which might be supplemented by a side letter setting out key details of the payment process, including the key payment dates and a list of any scheme assets to be transferred directly to the insurer rather than being sold and transferred as cash. The buy-in policy will set out the minimum amount that needs to be paid to secure the insurance from a given risk transfer date. And to evidence that payment, the trustees will be required to sign irrevocable instructions to pay the sums due or transfer the assets and provide a copy of these to the insurer alongside the signed buy-in policy. If the funds paid fall short, there will generally be terms entitling the insurer to adjust the insured benefits, charge interest or in extreme cases to terminate the buy-in policy entirely. The scheme's investment advisors will need to advise on this process and prepare the relevant disinvestment and transfer instructions well in advance. And particularly where the scheme assets are being transferred in specie, this will need to align with any price lock mechanism previously negotiated with the insurer. And I think our previous podcast covered how price lock mechanisms work, but in summary, the insurer will agree to set their pricing relative to a specific set of investments or directly to the scheme's own assets. So once the initial premium has been paid, could there be other adjustments to the price during the buy-in period? And if so, how is that dealt with in a typical buy-in policy? Well, yes, they can, but good preparation can help to reduce the risk of needing to pay more. So once the buy-in policy is signed, there'll be a data verification period prescribed by the buy-in policy, generally lasts about a year. And during this time, the trustees, insurer and scheme administrator will need to work together to review and verify the data files supplied to the insurer. So as well as a catch up for recent deaths, corrections may be needed to member details such as key dates, dependent information and addresses or benefit issues. For example, if pensionable service dates change, a revised set of data will be produced by the data verification process. And once the trustees and insurer have agreed this, the premium will be recalculated to reflect it. 
so that benefits insured are updated, and this will be known as the final premium. So in summary, if the new data means that the final benefits are more expensive to insure, the final premium will be higher than the initial premium, and the trustees will be required to pay the difference between the two. The new data could also work the other way, of course, and lead to a refund being due to the trustees. As you mentioned, you know, good preparation should reduce the risk of a significant change in the data, but sometimes things don't go to plan. And so could you tell us what happens if the premium adjustment needed is a big one? Could the trustees be penalised? Well, for example, an increase or, or a reduction by more than 5% of the initial premium is likely to be considered a material change. The material change triggers will be set out in the buy-in policy. This could entitle the insurer to revise the bases and assumptions used to price the adjustments needed under the final premium, so rather than use the initial quotation basis. This could mean that the revised premium is calculated on a more expensive basis compared to when the buy-in policy was entered into, as well as by reference to the then current market conditions, of course. So the buy-in policy will normally state that changes which aren't material changes will be priced on the same basis and assumptions in place when the policy was entered into, but also by reference to the current market conditions. So despite the best intentions of the parties, it sounds like there could be scope for disagreements to arise over benefit and premium adjustments. How does a buy-in policy tend to deal with disputes? Well, the buy-in policy will include a dispute resolution process, which is applicable to these sorts of disagreements. I mean, generally, this will require the trustees and insurer to first try and resolve the issue between them. And if that's not possible, which is unusual in our experience, then the dispute will be referred to a jointly appointed expert. And that's normally an experienced actuary whose decision will then be binding on the parties. Now, the timescales for raising a dispute tend to be quite short, you know, less than a month, typically. So the key takeaway is for trustees and their advisors to know the timescales which apply and to act quickly if they think the adjustment is too high. The buy-in policy will entitle the trustees to request information relating to how the premium adjustment has been calculated, which will help them look into this. If the dispute relates to a breach of the buy-in policy's terms, such as a breach of warranty or termination type issue, another process may be provided for, such as arbitration, failing which the courts would ultimately be available to resolve the issue if needed. You said earlier that there could be a long time between buy-in and buy-out. Is it possible to make further changes to the insured benefits before buy-out that aren't simply a result of data verification? Yes, I mean, there should be a further opportunity to do this, but it could be limited. Some buy-in policies allow trustees to adjust benefits sparingly prior to buyout. This could be used, for example, to adjust benefits for GMP equalisation. Therefore, it's common for a buy-in policy to provide for the benefit specification to be updated shortly before buyout, just to make sure all the final changes have been captured, unless the insurer and trustees agree that it's not necessary. Thanks. And is there anything else trustees need to know uh, as the scheme approaches the buyout stage? Well, there'll be a number of things to manage. I mean, first, the members will be used to dealing with the trustees and their administrators, so good communication around the wind-up and buyout will be vital. The buy-in policy is likely to require the trustees to share a draft of their letter to members with the insurer and to keep the insurer informed of any queries or complaints. And secondly, the trustees may be entitled to review and comment on the individual policies which is recommended to make sure they accurately reflect the benefit specification and contain all the terms needed to give the trustees a statutory discharge. Thirdly, there are some circumstances where it may be preferable for the insurer to issue the individual policies to the trustees first, 
and for trustees to assign those policies to the members. This tends to be appropriate if a member resides overseas, so they have access to the financial services compensation scheme if the insurer goes bust, and potentially also for pensioners with lifetime allowance fixed protection, so that they retain that protection if need be. That has been really helpful, thank you. Um, I wondered if you could finish up by giving us your overall top tips for agreeing suitable buy-in policy terms. Well, it's still the case that the larger the transaction, the greater your bargaining power to agree special terms. So it's worth discussing with your advisors at an early stage what is likely to be achievable given the size of your scheme. It can be particularly helpful to set out the terms you would ideally like to see in the buy-in policy when you first go to market. For example, if you want to pay the initial premium in instalments or transfer assets in specie or seek additional security, it is helpful to say so up front. So insurers quote on that basis when there is some competitive tension between different insurers interested in the scheme. And finally, um, don't be daunted by the length of a, of a buy-in policy um, and its detailed provisions. Your legal advisors will review the terms in detail, highlight the ones you, you really do need to bear in mind and give you the comfort you need that its terms are suitable for you and your scheme. Great, thank you. Thank you, Claire. Well, that's all for today. Um, thank you for listening. And please do contact me, Claire, or your usual OC contact if you'd like to know more about preparing your scheme for buyout. If you want to join us next time, we'll be considering how trustees can protect themselves from liability when carrying out a buy-in, buy-out and wind-up process. Thank you.